Marcus. Yo. You like movies? Yes, I do. I like movies, too. This is Zebras in America. What it do? We're a film podcast, amongst other things. We talk about whatever we feel like. Usually it's about films, but we also go in between the parts, the, the sound that is the silence in between the clock ticks. You know what I'm saying? I do. And we are recording remotely, as it were, until we find a way to get back together again. But our podcast is timeless, baby. And, um, you know, when you go to the gym, you worry about, get, you know, do you got gains? But when you talk about one of the great uh, cinema directors of our time, you got to talk about Todd Haynes. And, uh, you know, our, our Joanna Hogg episode was quite popular. And our Claire yeah. Denis couplet was quite popular. Yeah. And we have... A few other in the pipeline, or or we have some ideas of ones. We're de- we've kind of done a Hal Hartley one in a way, but we're going to do a full Hal Hartley one. Mm-hmm. I would like to do a Hal Ashby one, but you oh, know, yeah. you never be watching his movies, and when I talk about them, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I saw it, but that's all you got to say. Yeah, I'm he's one of those. Well, maybe you'll just force me to, because he is one of those directors for the most part. I'm just not super crazy about him but no it's not that i don't watch i've seen all of his movies multiple times there's just certain directors that are just like eh but i but i I can dedicate you know an episode to him you know to give me a chance to stretch yeah and then like you know if you guys think uh if you all have ideas of of directors you think we should do this for let us know and you know eventually we're going to start a patreon i just like yeah it's just who has time these days to do anything. Though I am going to be talking about Hal Ashby later, but okay. when we started the podcast many years ago, you would talk about Todd Haynes a lot, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, uh huh." But I actually, I saw, I've before we before we had talked about doing this episode, I had seen Wonderstruck, which is excellent. Yeah, it is. And Velvet Goldmine, which I rewatched, mm-hmm. and Carol, right? Because because I actually for some I've read The Price of Salt, the book that the movie is based off of, and mm-hmm. Carol was the best reviewed film of the year that it came out in. Was it? Yeah. You know what? I guess that. Meant. Wow, that was too. It wasn't that the same year? I, oh, I thought Fury Road would have gotten. Would have gotten that honor. I thought those were the same year, 2015, no? All I know is that according to the internet, it was the best reviewed film of the year it came out in. Hmm. I guess. It's not like, it's not that Carol being, having great reviews surprised me. I just thought Mad Max was the universally There are people that didn't like Mad Max Fury Road. I think you're talking, it's more that the people that like Mad Max Fury Road are like, this is one of the greatest movies of the past 20 years where there's probably less people that think that Carol is one of the greatest movies of, of the past 20 years, though we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. But as, yeah, far, yeah, yeah. As, before, as far as modern queer cinema, it's sort of a very remarkable film. So there are people for whom it probably is a very important film because it tells a, a story of 
of same-sex love and sex in a time where that was fairly taboo and it doesn't really have a spoilers if you haven't seen Tom Hayden's movies it doesn't really have a, a bad ending it doesn't no yeah no you're, you're you're right it doesn't play into what you think it might do or 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 ways that he goes in another movie that has these topics in in an earlier time period as well well by the time you get to Carol I mean, fine. Carol is definitely because of it had a lot of Oscar buzz, and by that point, Todd Haynes was in that realm. You, it is a movie, I guess, you can stumble upon. But generally speaking, by 2015, if you know anything about Todd Haynes, you know that you know since the start of his career, he was one of the top varsity lettermen of the combo of two things. He he was it was a group of folks where it was like there was the new queer cinema, but then it was also American indie cinema. You know, it was like him, Gus Van Zandt, Greg Araki, Tom Kalin. So he was part of that Venn diagram group of folks that straddled between, like, American independent mavericks of the very early 90s. Mm-hmm. And, no you know, uh, and, and also, and, and when you take the, the, the queer cinema element out of it, just American in, indie films, he was also in that in, the, in those group of folks, too. And it's um, funny, because even though he's, he, he doesn't really care for the tag of new queer American cinema... Most directors don't care for any tag. But That's yeah, also yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that almost all of his films deal, deal with queer or queer-adjacent situations yes. aside, aside from one or two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you want to just give like a little preamble to Todd Haynes and who he is and why you like him... And then we can go from from superstar to dark waters. Sure, you know when Scott suggested to do this episode, you know I kind of perked up because Todd Haynes. It's weird. He is <clears throat> on 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 a bigger list. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. He's not on that Claire Denis, Haneke, Hal Hartley, David Lynch, Jim Jarmusch level, but whatever. He's still one one of my favorites, and he's he's one of my favorite filmmakers that I like to talk about more. Because he's someone who, there's just as many movies he has that I love, uh, as many as, as, as I do not like, but he's still one of my favorites. And I feel like directors like that are the best to talk about, like on a podcast, because he, he, he doesn't necessarily make movies that are just about, just not nonstop praise. Just five, ten minutes of gushing over his movies and nothing else to talk about. It's just like... No, while he, I think, from the start of his career up to safe, he had this like perfect four-run, four-movie run filmography that was just like all the cliche shit that you can say, groundbreaking, excellent, amazing masterpieces, whatever. And then he decided not to stay in that realm, and he and he slowly branched out and branched out more. And like his contemporary, his Portland contemporary, uh, Gus Van Zant, they both made that same kind of trajectory from just like weird indie art house to art house indie to indie mainstream to like mainstream but no matter what no matter how mainstream uh, a guy like Todd Haynes or Gus Van Zandt gets there's always that hint of their kind of like punk rock DIY kind of like roots in everything that they do no matter how many Oscars they get nominated for so yeah Todd Haynes is huh I'm sorry or, or and even like as you told me off record like his mentorship of Kelly Riker and like his yeah, he, he produced Old Joy for those yeah. that don't, you know. For those and that Wendy don't know. and Lucy. 
Yes, yeah, and that too, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he's been fostering this sort of scene, and but his singular vision is just so... He's so, like, demonstrably talented and yes. effortless from day one that yeah. it's almost frustrating. Um, sure. And... And unlike, I I don't I don't think Todd Haynes has one like bad movie. There's just okay, yeah, there's, there's sure, just, yes, yeah, I agree. There's two that um that I am like, eh. There's a couple that are like, oh, this this is really special. Then there's yeah. one that's like perfect, absolute masterpiece. And then mm. there's a couple that are like, oh, these are standouts of their genre. Yeah. And it's pretty impressive for someone like Todd Haynes, who's, who's done two very sort of vague biopics. Velvet Goldmine, which is like an unauthorized biopic of like David Bowie and Lou Reed, but because of legal issues is not about them, yeah. is about this... Yeah, this abstract idea of it is honestly, I think, one of the greatest biopics about musicians that that I've ever seen. And then, you know, I finally watch I'm Not There, which is his way of telling the story of Bob Dylan through different actors and different names and different milieus and different times and lots of Easter eggs. I'm like, oh shit! Right, yeah, a lot of Easter eggs. Oh, uh, just also to interject real quick, three biopics because the Karen Carpenter film should technically count as a biopic, no? Or do you not? Um, it's well, technically like birth to death. It kind of covers. Our, it's just not with actors, but it is a you know, it is an acted movie. You, you know what I'm saying? Right. Do you not? Do you not count? No, that? yeah. Well, let's get to let's get to Superstar because that's. Oh. That's like an asterisk because even when you look into Todd Haynes, that movie is sometimes sort of buried under it. And it is. It and is. you're right. It is a musical biopic. And it is an excellent it is an excellent biopic. I just don't put it in the same lane as Velvet Goldmine or I'm Not There. And you know, I didn't until you just said this, I didn't even think about it. It's just like he kind of he he learned as he went. I think by the time he got to I'm Not There, he mastered it because, which we're about to talk about, the Karen Carpenter film, he got into legal trouble. Uh, you know, Velvet Goldmine, he got into lesser legal trouble, but there was still some, there was still a lot of yellow tape. So, like, by the time he got to this Bob Dylan film, he had, like, two decades of, like, practice on how to, like, weave around stuff, how to do stuff correctly. So, I never even thought about that until you were just, until you just said that. So, if you do, like, a journey... There, uh, uh, there was like this interesting bookend of just like, this is not how you do it. This is how you do it. You know, kind of journey. Yeah. That he so has let's doing biopics. So let's start. So let's yeah. start at the beginning because we've gone all over. And so you read about Todd Haynes and they talk about his first film, Poison, but that's right. not accurate. Before right. Poison, he was a cause celebre because he made a. A story about Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters who had a debilitating eating disorder and he told it with Barbies. 
and yep. and it's called Superstar, and it's really good. It's he because he even though you would think oh this very dark story about a true story using Barbie dolls is going to be kitschy or campy or tongue in cheek, but it's never that. He never uses he he never references the way in which he's using the medium to tell this very sad story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would, would, would you agree with that? Yeah. No, no. So I was saying, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's like, it's like young Svankmeyer on, on more drugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. And it, it bothers me that like people, that people dismiss this work. Though it turns out that the issue is that he was sued by the Carpenter family because they were not into it. No, they, yeah, they definitely were not. Especially, <coughs> excuse me, when you're just like some guy. Like at that point, he was not Todd. Well, he was, but he wasn't like the Todd Haynes. You know, he was just like some guy, some like art school student. And you know, I'm sure, especially this was you know obviously pre-internet, so it probably seemed like some kind of tongue-in-cheek, ironic almost poking fun thing from the outside. I, like, on the surface, I can definitely see where the Carpenter estate slash family w- w- was coming from. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Totally. So, yeah. So, and you can... It's pretty easy to find if you're looking for it. And I also yeah, recommend, there, you know, to look for the Sonic Youth cover of Superstar because it's really good. And that's a, And that's a really cool thing, too, because they maintained... Um, Todd Haynes, one of another one of his early things. Todd Haynes directed uh, a couple of music videos for Sonic Youth back in the day, and kind of kept up this like relationship with them. Kim Gordon makes an appear- a super quick appearance, and I'm not there. Sonic Youth uh, were one of the like backing bands for the soundtrack in Velvet Goldmine. Like they they've kind of had this like working relationship for yeah, for quite I mean, some time. Don't get me started about the 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 original songs for Velvet Goldmine, but I I will right. talk about them in a cool. minute. When we get yeah. there, mm-hmm. so then, so then, he comes out with poison, yeah, which is oh, yeah. a visually striking triptych. It's it's mm-hmm. showing off. It's like a guy being like, "Yo, watch this. I'm gonna do a movie where I'm gonna tell three stories, three different ways, three different styles, three different genres, three different time periods." Well. All of it. It's yeah, it's definitely a young filmmaker trying to like be flashy, but in a good, no, in a it, good way. It, it works, you know, because yeah. it's one story is like a horror Twilight Zone style thing yeah. about a scientist getting a disease. Probably a commentary on the sensationalized nature of AIDS narratives during the time that it came out. Absolutely. Then, then there's uh, an almost Beaver trilogy style tablet story tabloid story about patricide mm-hmm. and then there's a a prisoner tale of love and sex and sadness told in a dreamy almost french new wave style well speaking of it's, it's based on the writing of genet yeah of jean jean genet so yeah so someone coming out of the gates just like all right i'm an i'm a rocket all three definitely yeah the 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 horror the the Twilight Zone one is my least favorite. Um, mm-hmm. The what? Why the, is that? I'm I'm just curious. 
Because I'm about to say something very controversial that, that I'm probably going to get judged for. Oh, uh-oh. I don't like the Twilight Zone. I don't like spooky black and white stuff. It just makes oh. me... It just has always been very challenging for me. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm, I'm not a Twilight Zone watcher, but I'm always... I always revert back. I was late on... When I was a kid, I always assumed that, like... When I was six, seven, even eight, I just assumed shit in the 50s and 60s, like everything was perfect and nice. Mm -hmm. And then like when I was around eight or whatever and discovering like, oh, people did like heroin and and there were serial killers. Like just like, oh, it was a dirty ass, grimy place. Lots of heroin and lots of craziness and a lot of... Stuff it just blew on. my mind. It just and so anytime I see a movie that deals with the, the underbelly or like the dirty, nasty crevices of that period of specifically America, <clears throat> I always revert back to like my very young self, and it's like, well, I really thought that everything you you, you just said. You said you know like leave leave it to Beaver. I honestly thought that that's what no, it I was said. Like Beaver trilogy, then. not leave it to Beaver. Oh yeah, damn. I oh I'm sorry. I heard Beaver and I thought leave it to Beaver because. The, the hero story <clears throat> does kind of have elements of, like, Leave it to Beaver, where it's just no, like... I mean, both Oh, you th- yeah, sure, sure, yeah. But... So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, Poison's a masterpiece to me. Yeah, Poison's a masterpiece, and then if you think... But then, then to talk about it, like, the black and white thing, and something that we're forgetting is that as the Twilight Zone was happening, you also have, like, the movies of... Well, like in the 70s, you have like Shirley Clark, 60s and 70s. Yeah, I was going to say even earlier. Yeah, And like the connection is is a beautiful fucked up movie that's essentially just about the life of jazz artists and and how they're always trying to get high on heroin. Yeah. Because jazz jazz guys were very into horse, which was a a slang for heroin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were. And I'm just thinking, like, this movie now, I'm like, oh, this is crazy, but, and very, te- very interesting and multifaceted. But also, it's like the, the sex scenes are, you know, disturbing in some ways. The, the sex scenes in the prison story are, are yeah. challenging. And yeah, there's some are. scenes in there that are challenging. But I don't think of this movie as, as, as like, terribly controversial or. I don't find it particularly onerous or transgressive to the point of censor, though mm-hmm. that was something that was going on at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, so you like you like Poison. I love Poison. <clears throat> I love it a lot. I, yeah. That that movie, you know, uh, just real quick, I got to circle back. So like, you know, the Carpenter story. So like back in the '90s, and even even a lot of the 2000s it was one of those like underground films it was on the level of like you know it's the same thing where like people would you know miss they would say hey stranger than paradise that's jim jarmusch's first movie or welcome to the dollhouse that's todd salon's first movie like there was that period in the 90s and early 2000s where like a director's true first film like you just couldn't get a hold of it mm-hmm. um but poison though that's also it, it is sometimes like like there will be like best debut Grammy for like an artist that has five albums. Right. Oh, but you know, but they call them mixtapes so that they don't, no, but no, I'm it has, it all, it, like, there have been times where like Beck was best new artist and he had like five albums. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm see, I, my mind always goes to rap and how like there's things that are called mixtapes, and these mixtapes have original production, cleared samples, like even shit that you have to buy, not free Dat Pit stuff. But then like their fifth or sixth release will be their official album, and that's when it's like best new artist, and it's like what they've been out for like eight years or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's oh, I, I I thought that's where you were going with that. No, no, but, but I have a lot of trouble with that because then it's like, like, like. To that argument, like Chance the Rapper's never made an album. Right. Yeah. And that's just demonstrably false. I'm going to see how many yeah. times I can say demonstrably in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> or like thinking of like Pitoff's first movie as Catwoman when when that was not his first movie. <laughs> Pitoff. Nice. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I really appreciated when you held Catwoman for me. Nah, I like the note that you left me. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Hi, Doug. You ever smoke PCP? Not yet. So then, after Poison, in 1995, he makes this movie, um, a period piece about. Sure. Well, because it takes place in 1987, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. No. So I was like, sure. In L.A. It's called Safe. Yeah. I saved this one for... This was the last one I watched before finishing Haynes. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did. I, I don't think I would get an argument out of you to say that it's his greatest film. Yeah. And it's... it's... Some days it's my personal favorite movie. I don't think it'll ever leave like a top five personal for me. Um, yeah, this movie is amazing. It's a movie that is perfect in every way. Set yeah. design, outfits, acting, writing, music, directing, cinematography, pacing. You you know that I like movies that, you know, subvert your expectation so things that you think are going to happen or worry may happen don't happen. Things yep. that happen, things that are happening in inward are not always explored. Sure. And you d- never, damn. you never truly get an answer. Um, yeah. Would you like to explain the plot of safe? Sure. I mean, the basic plot is, you know, safe, uh, on one level, it's a film about a woman who starts to uh, develop all these different allergies and sicknesses that are kind of like idiosyncratic. And it's either implied, it's like it's either in her head or it's this new type of sickness that just can't be detected. Because it's, it's, it's one of those things, while it is ambiguous, the her reactions to certain things, it's not fake. I mean, she she goes into seizures, she convulses, she bleeds, like there's all these things that happen you know, but then at the same time, it also, you know, this movie was also similar to what Scott was alluding to earlier. This was also another, you know, commentary on the AIDS crisis in a sense that the model for this movie is this uh, character by the name of Carol, played by Julianne Moore. She's not a, like, we don't get a gay male character. We don't get a gay person. We don't get a black person. It's like this kind of like white, stereotypical, kind of empty house mother, housewife who kind of gets this sickness. You know what I'm saying? Because throughout the film, 
it's done in this clever way where AIDS and HIV are brought up in like kind of a unspoken way, which and spoken. You know, there, there are characters with yeah. HIV in the movie. Sure, but that's later on. Like so, right. early on in the movie, she goes over her friend's house, and nothing is. There's no core word said, but her friend's brother has died. Yeah. And then there's this, there's, it, it's, it's my second favorite scene in the movie because, and then they just sit in silence and then Carol, Julianne Moore's character is like, was it, was he? And then her friend stops her and it's like, that, that, she goes, that's what everybody, it's because he wasn't married. And then it's like, a scene like that is heavily, impl- like, it just implies so much without, with, with saying so little, you know? And then the other layer to that movie too is like I was saying, you know, Carol is a very like in a weird strange way she's an empty person like you do kind of wonder like how did she even get this far in life being so empty and that's not an insult like that's how the character is made out to be but you do see this journey of this empty woman and she starts to kind of get she 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 in a way finds her purpose she finds her she finds some substance to her life through this kind of like mysterious unnameable potentially even non-existent disease so it, it it's like, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Because now she kind of has depth as a person. But at the same time, who are we to determine what depth in a person is to begin with? Right. So and these are some of the things that this movie kind of brings up. And also, I, I was going to say earlier, but this is an even better segue. For those of you listening and you know who I am, I'm big into movie references. And a lot of time it's like you don't just have to be Quentin Tarantino to be... You know, to, to have these like Easter eggy kind of homages to other movies because safe relies heavily upon a lot of the imagery of Chantal Ackerman's Jean Delman. Um, like, sh- certain kind of shot for shot, shot in the same style. And, the, and uh, Todd Haynes has said this himself. And this goes back to earlier films. Like, Poison references, like, specific things, specific movies as well. So, And we're, we're going to talk later on, because he essentially remade two movies in, in, into one with Far From Heaven. But let's get back to Safe. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, what were you about to say? Yeah, no, you have this character, Carol, who's who's drifting away in a monotonous 80s life. She does the aerobics. She goes to the mall. She gets her house done. She has, even though she's a homemaker, she has a, a, she has a maid. Her, she has a stepson by, from presumably a first marriage from her husband played by Xander Berkeley. Yeah. Perfectly who Oh yeah. is completely unaware of what it what she's going through, what her life is like, what her wants are. There's a very frustrating passionless sex scene, well like a one-way passionless sex scene, which you is know, a direct homage to the the final scene in um Eugene Delmont, Chantal Ackerman, of the guy lying on top of her, and yeah. And she slowly starts to get allergic to her environment, and whether it's yeah. alert, it's it's hinted that she's part of a new, growing world of people who are allergic to pesticides and chemicals or environment, mm-hmm. and. And people think that she's crazy, but she's heaving and coughing and passing out and 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 her nose is bleeding and there's even there's even a scene where where 
you know, if you've ever, so it turns out that allergy testing has changed because if you've ever gotten an allergy test, it's very annoying because to figure out what you're allergic to, they have to shoot you with all, with all the popular allergens, just like a little yeah. bit. They give you a mm -hmm. shot. And now they've kind of made it that they have this almost like a claw with like 30 different shots that they hit you once. And then they have another claw with 30 sh shots and they hit you oh, once. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I never had to, I never got one. So I didn't, yeah, I, I, I didn't know. Well, you're, you're only allergic to the bullshit, so you don't need a test for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and, and, and sugar and carbs. I'm technically allergic to Could that. you just <laughs> let me have the fucking joke? No, I laughed. I just wanted to add on to it. <laughs> Sorry, I was being a reply guy. Specific ass motherfucker. Whoa! <laughs> Anyways, um, I love you. We're not fighting. I love you too. Um, you heard it, folks. He's never said it before. The L word. Anyways, <laughs> uh, which was a show on Showtime. And anyways, so now to get... Back then, they had to shoot you 30 times in a row with different needles. And then eventually, she finds out about this community out in the desert for people that are dealing with this affliction. And it's sort of cultish. It's right. So, yeah. You know, there's a, there's the, the, main, the, the main character of the cult, the, the head guy, has these monologues that are sort of painful. But she does get better there in some ways. The, yeah. the last scene is certainly ambiguous that I'm not going to talk about. Because if yeah. you haven't seen Safe, watch it. Yeah, go in. I, I wish... And that's another thing I love about this movie. It's one of those movies where I wish I could go back and watch this again without knowing what it's about. Because it's like I didn't even know... Yeah, like exactly. The whole... Most of the last part of the movie takes this other turn where I was like, oh, this is where we're going? Like, I had no idea. I just thought the whole thing was just going to be, oh, she's this housewife and she's struggling. I didn't know that what happened later on was going to happen. And it's it's really cool. And, and you know, it also tests the realm of genre. Like, Todd Haynes has said, you know, over the last 25 years, like, hey, if you want to call this movie a horror movie, go right ahead. You want to call it sci-fi? Go right ahead. And technically, it is all of those things, you know? It, it 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 it's a body horror. It's it is science fiction. You know, there, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, so. and the movie never tries to tell you what it is that she's suffering from. It never tells you what she's going to do when you're yeah. when you're worried that maybe some of the men in the cult are going to try some funky shit. They don't. There's there's a monologue that you've talked about many times yeah about basically how how which i disagree with but i understand how sometimes you might agree with it about how we inflict things on ourselves that's what's so beautiful because yeah on the so the the head of i'm just going to say this group the head of this group slash possible cult slash belief system organization whatever you want to call it and they all even dress kind of similarly except for him and peter the leader he lives in this mansion on the hill above everyone else. like there's some stuff there but 
Yeah, so in the movie, my I, I mentioned earlier my second favorite. My first favorite scene in this film is where he's talking about, he says, if you've become sick, it's because you have allowed it. And it's like, trust me, I love that, this whole moment, but I also recognize how batshit crazy and ridiculous that sounds too. Because it's like, no, not necessarily, but I just relate to it so much because when it comes to sickness and health, all the bad stuff that has happened to me literally is because of me, is, is my own stuff. No one forced, no one put the the health issues that I've had to go through on me except myself. So I'm one of those rare cases where it's like, hey, when it comes to just the case of Marcus Penn, he's absolutely right. And many other Americans too, like let, let's not, you know, from right. diabetes and heart disease to whatever, these are but things that people are warned about and they still kind of go about. But know. that's also this thing that's somehow become, you know, controversial. The idea, oh, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. I, I'm not certain... I'm starting to believe that some of the things that I've been taught are big cultural zeitgeist things might actually be echo chambers of like four people talking to each other to make things louder. Mm. So I don't know if 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 fit shaming is a real thing. I don't know if the notion that doctors are not supposed to tell you you're overweight anymore if that's actually real, I don't know if the the rumor that you're, you know, be, you can be a certain weight and still be healthy is, is actually something that people are trying to push forth. Because I sometimes think that that's part of an agenda, right? Yeah, no, we, 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 we can, that's like a whole other conversation. We can go on forever yeah. with that. You're, you're, I, 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 I kind but, of agree. Uh, I can say, at least for you and I, and to a certain extent, our parents, I apologize. No, especially in the case of, oh, I'm sorry, keep going, because this is a good transition. Many of the things, many of the health issues that we've had to deal with, we did to ourselves. Yep. And going back to that scene, years ago, you know, my parents, you know, because they lived in Connecticut, so they didn't, um, they don't live far. They would come by and, and, and... just say hi when they would come visit my grandmother. And one time my parents came to visit and I happened to have safe on and it just looked intriguing. So my parents kind of stuck around and kind of watched the last half of it. And that scene when Peter's like, if anyone has made you sick, it's because you have allowed it. And then Peter, at the end of that speech, Peter goes, does anyone have a problem with that? And kind of half jokingly, my dad raised his hand and he was just like, uh, I do, which is a I get it. And then I was just like, well, dad, you know, you're a type two diabetic and you have kidney disease. And I'm not trying to say fault in like a really mean kind of way, but both of those things you could have prevented and you were warned one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, so actually you kind of, if you have a problem with that, fine, but the problem should kind of be with yourself. And he actually kind of stopped and just like, oh, you have a point. And then like days later, he called me back to like thank me he was just like hey i thought about what, what, what you said some more i want to I, I appreciate what you said you were absolutely right and it's kind of like you know yeah so. and it's tough it's not pleasant these no. aren't things that we like to hear there are things that like my my mental health needs are not things that i did to myself i mean perhaps yeah. things that happened to me have informed the things that have informed the things but it's just a very that that monologue just really threw me through a loop and 
I'm always interested in how directors show people at their worst and most vulnerable, vulnerable. And, yeah. and when the care in which Todd Haynes shows people in pain is really powerful. Yeah. And, and what was really interesting is, is when Saskia and I finished watching Safe the other night, and you know it's 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 one of those movies you have to rent. It's worth four bucks. Poison is on Tubi. Carol is on Netflix. Dark Waters is on Hulu. Like, it's hard to do this stuff. And a conversation that you and I have been having offline a lot is is the problem is we got to figure out a way because a lot people that aren't part of like film world or like film world adjacent because i still am am hesitant to call myself film world for whatever mm -hmm. reason um i a lot of people if if they're like oh i have to pay i'm not going to rent it yeah I, I don't know about that especially when something's like a lot of these movies that are like 15 years or older are just like maybe 99 cents to five dollars to rent it's like why not Right. And, and even, and this isn't just like, cause this is also probably like film school kids who are like, Oh, I'm looking to pay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, like most film students I run into are not encyclopedic, like the Safety brothers. Right. A, a lot of them know a lot less than you think. Yeah, a thousand percent. Oh yeah. But, but yeah, so Sassy and I were trying, you know, I sometimes get in arguments with them on Twitter comparing movies, and then when you get down, then when you get down to the debate or argument, it's like, oh, well, I didn't know that this director said these quotes, or I haven't seen this movie, which you should then don't open your mouth. But yeah, you you, yeah, you soon discover there's a lot of stuff. Right, folks act like they've seen they haven't seen. Like I would hardly say much about Todd Haynes two weeks ago because I had seen three of his movies. Sure. And I hadn't seen the one that people were telling me I had to see. Mm -hmm. To no surprise, Armin White does not like Todd Haynes. I believe that. Um, that 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 makes sense. But also, I'm sure. I guess I don't know his history of following Todd Haynes, but I just know that post, like once Todd Haynes got popular, he would occasionally let certain like very super liberal left leaning opinions fly which i'm sure was also a trigger to armin white along with the sexuality thing and all so i mean yeah knowing what i know about todd haynes that is absolutely a recipe for someone specific like armin white to not like i absolutely get it so yeah makes sense i never looked into the two of them like i never looked at an armin white review of a todd haynes film i probably should but you saying that curious, it makes all the sense in the world because i thought that he would have liked Velvet Goldmine. No. Because he no. loves that music. He loves that music, but the whole... And and everyone, I'm just using... To, like, he, I, I don't think he likes... Man, how, how do I get into this? Because I, I don't want anyone to... Th I just think... Okay, me being a black person, there's certain stereotypical things associated with black people that I don't... I think with Armand White, there's certain stereotypical things associated with uh, homosexuality that he absolutely hates. And Todd Haynes can absolutely highlight that. Absolutely 
going into the next movie that 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 we're going to get into. So again, it all makes sense. No, are what we I going about into Velvet that. Goldmine? Yeah, I. So it's like the music, whether it's Bowie, Brian Eno, Iggy Pop. Of course, Armand White likes that music, but that, but the, like, like the Morrissey, glitter. Morrissey and Prince and are his favorite musicians, from what I've read. It, of course, I, I, I'm not. You didn't just. I, I didn't just learn this, but because I just I recently read Armand White's review of Morrissey's last album. But it's like, of course, goddamn Morrissey, the self-hating, borderline racist, actually no, racist no guy. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. That's why I was like borderline because like he teeters the line, but it's like you are racist. You just haven't burned a cross on someone's lawn. You haven't said the N word, probably in public. But it's like, yeah, you you are, and so I, it makes I all find, the re- it, yeah. I find the song "Hang the DJ" to be borderline racist. Yeah, and it's like a, 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 I'm using air quotes. The problematic guy. It's almost like 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 that's what to a certain degree frustrates me about. And I don't need to let myself get so frustrated, but it's like so much now for years now. What Armand White does, nothing feels genuine. Everything feels like a statement. And and, the, and that's what like children do or like teenagers like I'm gonna rebel against my it's like is, you're 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 a grown yeah. man just just be 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 an adult be 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 mature you don't have to rebel against the system you you, you were doing that before in a, in in such an organic way and now it just feels so forced and, with, and corny with him and Morrissey I know that they know better because I because I because I know both of them I can honestly say that I find both of them to be brilliant and both of them to be incredibly wrong. Yes. All the, all the time. And Completely agree. Agree. One of, one of Armin White's favorite music videos is a Morrissey video directed by Zack Snyder to nobody's surprise. Of course. And I'm very excited for, for this. I'm going to, I'm going to do a very insane HBO extended cut party. I'm going to watch Margaret, the extended cut, and and Justin Justice League, the extended cut, in one day. I'm excited about this Justice Justice League movie too. I did am. You just Although hear, I got confused. Did you hear huh? the other part? Do I know the what? I said two movies. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the Margaret thing. No, I just got ex- I got confused yesterday because they just tweeted a picture, a teaser picture of Jared Leto as Joker, and I thought, like, wait, is that Joaquin Phoenix? You probably have. Yeah. I know you avoid spoilers, but. Yeah, um, shut up, please. Oh, sorry. I don't want to know anything. I'm right, right, right. So, and I believe someone is sending me. They've finally done an upgraded version of the con edition of Southland Tales. So I'm just looking mm. forward to like a bunch of very long versions of movies that are already kind of long but right. misunderstood. So you got Market Extended Cut on HBO Max. You got Justice League coming out on HBO Max, and then then maybe who knows? Maybe they'll they'll grab. They just made a Southland Tales con cut Blu-ray that I'm hearing is excellent, and what else? Oh, and HBO just did a beautiful remaster of Babylon Five, so my my rewatch of Babylon Five is even more enjoyable because they fixed all the aspect ratios, and it's wonderful, but. We got sidetracked. Saskia and I were discussing. We both thought that that safe was a masterpiece. And I realized that 
that our criteria, her criteria and my criteria for masterpiece are very different. Because mm. I was like, oh, you know, uh, trust is a masterpiece or Wanda is a masterpiece. And she was like, those movies are really good. Those aren't masterpieces. Like her version of a masterpiece is that every single thing, every single attribute is perfect. Yeah. Nothing mm -hmm. after it can, like it, it influences everything after it. And then yeah. I was like, but that also follows that, that there could be masterpieces that aren't good. And she was like, no. Right. She was uh, like, oh. no, no. It also has to be good, too. And I was like, okay, It's an interesting conversation. Oh, but that's a conversation that could go on forever. It was. A I mean that in a good way. It's just like... It was a fun conversation because cause, cause I don't think... Like, that's not my criteria for a masterpiece. Because mm. even some of, some of my most favorite rap albums, even albums that I consider to be masterpieces, have a bad song. Or have like bad elements all the way, like this, but that makes it more of a, of a masterpiece. Like group home. I'm sorry. I would, and I wouldn't say it to his face, but like, you know, like the Nutcracker, he's not a good rapper, but that album is a masterpiece. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that like that's when it gets a little like, you know what I'm saying? Like his, his rapping ability, you know, Malachi the Nutcracker, it, it's between kind of like, he has his moments, but for the most part, it's like basic rudimentary to like, ugh, you kind of even struggle to even stay on beat. But that first group home album is a masterpiece. You know what I'm saying? So that's when you, like, that's why these kind of conversations always intrigue me. I, 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 I like them. So. And then, so, yeah, that's what I got to say about that. Yeah. And then he comes out with this movie called Velvet Goldmine, which is sort of a story of glam music told through sort of like the point of view, like Christian Bale is a is a journalist who was part of the glam scene and is trying to find out what happened to an artist that disappeared. And then, oh, and then like, Julianne Moore shows up in every single movie almost afterwards mm -hmm. of Todd. Well, except except Vel Velva Goldmine and 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 um, but still. Oh yeah, she's not in Velva Goldmine. She's yeah. in. She's she's in. I'm not. I'm there. not there. Obviously, she's in Far From Heaven, and obviously, she's in Wonderstruck. Yeah, no, they have a. That's their. Uh, <clears throat> And then <clears throat> she even appeared in, in Todd Haynes' adjacent movies. You know, a good friend of Todd Haynes, who was another... I, I mentioned him way earlier. Uh, the director, Tom Kalin, mm -hmm. who... Uh, I think we can get him on the show, actually. She was in, you know, S Savage Graces. Uh, because, you know, Tom Kalin works closely with Christine Vachon, who I feel like we've gone too far in this podcast without even mentioning Christine Vachon. Christine Vachon is like... Todd Haynes is like right-hand woman. Um... You know, like when people talk about, say, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to use the example. I was just going to say, but yeah, uh, they, they are kind of to some degree one in the same. They're, they're like a, a lot of actors that work with them. She's his producer. It, it's almost like they're like a two headed monster. Like it's that relationship where they may go up to yeah. Christine Vachon and ask her a question about how to handle something. And it's like, yeah, Todd, Todd would totally be fine with that. Like they just kind of have that syn syn synchronicity. So I, I needed to add that in there. And I didn't see his TV series Mildred Pierce, but it's on my to-do list. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll just keep it with films. But Mildred Pierce is 
it's oh my god, it's excellent. It's I'm really, sure. really excellent. It, it's just, but it, it's like sneaky, sneakily excellent. It is. I didn't want to. I just didn't want to push it. Like when I try, when I try to just do too much, it just it doesn't work for me. Yeah. But Velvet Goldmine is all I can say is is I think it's I, I definitely top three musical biopics. I know that for you. You really like Bird. 24-Hour Party People. 24-Hour Party People. Yeah. And I, I hear that. I totally hear that. And, you know, I also like Crush Groove. But, you know, this movie, all I can say is is you got to watch it because it's, it's this mystery unfolding. And he somehow captures the music and the glamour and the party in a way that that I haven't seen it and it and it yeah. captures the music and because and because he couldn't get the rights and stuff there's there's some there's some music that's created for the film or covers of the film and mm-hmm. the 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 band the fake the fake band called Venus and Furs has like members of you said Sonic Youth, Radiohead, including Tom York. Yeah. And I used to work at a record store when this movie came out. And oh, cool! I love jamming the soundtrack because the the original songs were were so good. Mm. And then, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Velvet Goldmine other than check it out? Well, definitely check it out. Yeah, but that was another movie. That okay? I do. I have one, two. One quick thing and another thing. One, that movie was kind of the bridge to his more mainstream success. Like, you can just kind of just map it from safe to this far from heaven kind of Oscar mainstream world. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying. Um, you, you, Velvet Goldman kind of acted that because, like, he worked with, you know, he worked with Harvey Weinstein. He had Ewan McGregor and, Christ, and a young Christian Bale. Like, there, there are all these, like, elements that kind of, where that movie kind of catapulted him into, like, a bigger audience. Also, Velvet Goldmine and that era of Todd Haynes specifically, um, I always feel like someone, who, who knows, maybe I'll do it one day. And if someone gets there before me, good, awesome. I feel like there's a great book, documentary, something chronicling three of the biggest names in independent film uh, at that time, the late 90s. You had Todd Haynes, Todd Solondz, Hal Hartley, all within a year in 97. They all released these like big movies. That kind of catapulted them from indie art house into the mainstream. You had Velvet Goldmine with Todd Haynes, Happiness with Todd Solons, and Henry Fool with Hal Hartley. And then each one of them, their next film, their next feature length film, because they all did little short film projects, but their next feature length film were all within a year of 2001 through 2002. And you saw this interesting trajectory of like these like independent American mavericks who got famous for this like popular film and then they got these deals to make bigger films and then you see the difference and you see kind of what happened with each filmmaker i, I yeah, think that would just also, be kind of an interesting kind of outside thing to look into the the legacy so of the three the legacy of hal hartley waned people do not know thousand, about yeah and, and that's like one of the things yeah absolutely todd salons or todd haynes yeah hello hello because I'll just I'll be talking to people and they'll be like, oh yeah, I never saw this movie. Like what? Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know what he was. I, I remember when I did the score for Whiteface with Entume, 
you were like, oh, the music sort of reminds me of like Hal Hartley. And I was like, who's that? Oh, well. <laughs> oh I don't remember that. <clears throat> I remember saying that. I, oh, for some reason, oh, I didn't, I don't remember being who is that. I definitely remember saying that to you, but yeah. Yeah. I'd rather admit if I haven't seen a movie. Sure. So. I, I, I rather everyone do that. So yeah, but, and then yeah, and, but please see Velvet Goldmine. It, it, yeah, it's a good, fun, interesting movie. And then he makes Far from Heaven, which I think is like spiritually connected to Carol, and it's yeah. you know a film that deals with topics that were taboo for so long, that are that are definitely less taboo now. But you know, it's a period piece. There's there's miscegenation. There's there's homosexuality, there's shame, there's a, a, a neighborhood torn apart by gossip. Yeah, so Far From Heaven, how would you describe Far From Heaven? Uh, again, you know, there's layers. Uh, Far From Heaven, I mean, you did, it, it's, it's uh, a story. It's my, probably my second least favorite. And that's understandable. It, it's it's really it's kind of a <clears throat> an intentional melodramatic uh, story involving a uh, again a housewife played by Julianne Moore and her husband who's got some kind of uh, he's got some things to deal with on his end. But then Julianne Moore also strikes up a friendship slash relationship whatever with her gardener um, who was black. Um, this movie does take place in, the, in, in Connecticut in the 1950s. And I think that's important to note because this is a film that deals with racism in the North, you know, like period films about racism. It's always in the South, which I get, but you know, certain lanes of Hollywood would have you think that it's just like racism in America in the 1950s only happens South of Washington, DC, which is nonsense. Yeah, um, but in Connecticut, it, in Connecticut, one, Connecticut's mad racist still. Two, yeah, it is. In Connecticut, there were a lot of golf clubs, restaurants, institutions that didn't allow black people, women, or Jews yeah. until the 80s. It, it, it's also important to note that this movie, even more directly than, you know, how I, I mentioned earlier, Safe is like in, in parts an homage to Jean Delmon. Far from Heaven is a is is a remake of two films. It's kind of like a, it's almost a triptych. So, the whole style of the film is dedicated to Doug, Douglas Sirk, who's kind of known for his kind of colors, his Technicolor. You know, um, he made All That Heaven. Specifically, uh, Far from Heaven is a, a loose remake of All That Heaven Allows, combined with a loose remake of Fassbender's um, Ali Fear Eats the Soul, and Ali Fear Eats the Soul was a remake, was a loose reinterpretation of All That Heaven Allows. So it's kind of like, it, it's a remix of a remix, or it's a mashup of two films set, you know, in the 1950s. So it's kind of like, you don't need to see either movie to get or even understand Far From Heaven, but if you I watch both haven't. movies, yeah, it, I, oh, you're gonna, if, if you get around to watching, if you watch, if you watch, uh, um, all that heaven allows, and you watch Ali Fear, it's the soul. You're gonna think, and you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, right, makes sense." When, when you think about Far From Heaven, I guarantee. I mean, I guarantee. Um, okay. So, yeah. And then after that, he. Makes- oh, I, 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 before we get, I just have to say one thing too. So, Scott, I, I just want to build on one quick thing. Just how you were just saying, 
how this is like your least favorite and that makes sense. I think one aspect that has always and will always bug me about this movie is I understand that it's it's that this movie is intentionally melodramatic, <clears throat> but you know, the character portrayed by Dennis Haysbert, who does a great job in the film, he just kind of comes off as it's it's totally like the kind of black character that like kind of a liberal white super liberal white person who's from a super liberal white bubble would write and i'll just kind of say no more about that and if you haven't seen the movie see it and if you have seen the movie i think you know what i'm talking about so um yeah i'll i'll just leave it at that yeah i mean his his ability at, of writing non-white characters leaves some to be desired Mm. Um, especially the the character the character in this movie and in the next movie. I was just gonna ask: Are you talking about one of the um, one of the one of the Bob so I'm villains? not there. Yeah, is is a is a biopic of Bob Dylan told in a very special way. So it's several different eras of Bob Dylan, and each era the character has a different name, and is played by a different actor, mm-hmm. and tell different eras. And one of the characters is played by Heath Ledger. It's one of Heath Ledger's last performances, and it kind of if you're into Bob Dylan, I like Bob Dylan. I'm not into Bob Dylan like all the way, 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 way. I definitely had to look up some of the Easter eggs, but if you're into Bob Dylan, then you know that these are some of the important epochs and parts of his mythology. Because a lot of his, a lot of what makes his music interesting and his story that people like is his mythology that he started off almost like like hobo style, you know. Yeah, not and that part I got. <clears throat> I, I I guess I knew the basics. I just I always laugh because I love Todd Haynes. This was the first movie of his that I was going to see in a theater, like when it first came out. So I saw it at Film Forum, sold out crowd, liner on the block, and I saw and I see this movie in front of uh, around people who are clearly Bob Dylan fans because every two minutes something would happen in the movie and like the crowd would snicker or nudge each other, and I'm just there like what what I don't yeah. get it what. And then at a certain point, I was like, oh, I guess this has to mean something. And I, I don't know Bob Dylan's music. So, so like, again, I like Bob Dylan. I listen yeah. to his, some of his records. I think he's talented. But I'm not a super fan. Right. I don't remember the last time I listened to a Bob Dylan album. It's probably been a few years. I'm more of a Phil Oaks man, even though he throw, they throw Phil Oaks some shade in this movie. But... Yeah. That's neither here nor there. So you have, you know, Christian Bale, Christian Bale as like protest Bob Dylan and Kate Blanchett as 60s Bob Dylan and Marcus Carl Franklin as as at playing a character that's inspired by Woody Guthrie and also Ramling Jack Elliott because those are the two sort of like hobo folk musicians that Bob Dylan got a lot of his inspiration from, and also some of the great Delta blues singers, black Delta blues singers. Mm-hmm. And he talks, he talks, he on his guitar case, 
says this machine kills fascists. Woody Guthrie, who is a very prominent socialist, a lot of uh, he wrote a bunch of songs dissing Donald Trump's dad because Donald Trump's dad was a New York slumlord. Um, so this machine kills fascists. It's a famous picture of Woody Guthrie holding a guitar that says this. I this is this this story part is the part that I have the biggest problem with. I also highly recommend since we were talking about Hal Ashby. Hal Ashby made a Woody Guthrie biopic called Down for Glory, which is like mad long. They kind of had a script. It's very sort of folkloric, and I recommend it. Mm -hmm. And this character is played by a young black actor, and I had some troubles with, with this performance. Yeah. Then we have Richard Gere as like uh, the Billy the Kid persona, and then uh, Heath Ledger, who's like playing. Heath Ledger plays a character playing Bob Dylan. Yeah. And and then Ben Whishaw is playing a character who's just being questioned, and quotes Bob Dylan from interviews, mm-hmm. and. It's a perfect way to tell a story about a chameleon artist. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. How, how do you tell a story about a character, about a, a musician who changes themselves all the time? Oh, have different actors. It's really smart. Yeah. And I just, I didn't get a chance to say, but one of the frustrating things about Armand White is that his, his writings about Prince is some of the best critique on Prince you're going to find. Mm, I, I, okay. I, I'm always looking for something new to read. So, Yeah, he wrote... I'm pretty sure he wrote a book about Prince and he wrote a book about Michael Jackson. And he's written at length about these artists. And mm-hmm. it's very good. Yeah. Okay. All right. I wonder if they're going to, they're going, yeah, the Prince Chronicles. It's very good. Okay. Um, and that came out in 2016, but it, trust me, it's good. Word. It definitely has some Armand White-isms, but. <laughs> okay. You know, when he allows himself to enjoy black culture, he writes about it quite well. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't always allow himself that. Sure. You know, it's very, it's very strange. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to to make judgments about someone's blackness or someone's gayness. I'm just saying that. No, that I, 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 White, I get it. He puts, he also puts so much of himself out there. You can't at this point. You cannot talk about him and his personal stuff. Sentence, so you I know. don't get misconstrued, yeah. please. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you have this guy who's who's. Who's a who's a black gay man and a conservative, and it seems like he struggles so much with art that's about black men or gay men. True. And I'm I I wonder you know I just try I want to understand I still have I still I still find him to be important even if I if he if his if if I find some of his provocations and 
judgments to be hurtful and challenging. Sure, makes makes one of us. I get it, but I don't. No, I'm, va- I'm also like validating what you were saying. Like how someone should be gay or how someone should be black. That's not my place. Hello? That's not what I'm saying. I'll never say Armand White's an idiot or whatever. Like he's, in matter of fact, he's literally the opposite of an idiot. He's just like you know. Yeah, and I'm just trying to say he that is who he is. That's not my place. I'm just. I was just something I noticed. I get it. Do we have anything we need to go go over before we move on from the, these past couple joints and uh, our our sine wave of talking about Armand White? No, not at all. Not no. We we can we can move on. I'm good. Okay, so then after that we have Wonderstruck, which is wait. We didn't do Carol. Wonderstruck is before Carol, isn't it? No. Are you sure? I'm a hundred percent sure. How, uh, okay. Yeah. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh yeah, Wonderstruck is 2017. Yeah. My bad. Not Carol. Bad, whatever. Yeah. 2015, based off of a of the novel *Price of Salt*. Mm-hmm. It's it's about a younger woman and an older woman having a romantic, sexual and romantic relationship. In the 50s, for me, much like it, it definitely feels connected from Far From Heaven, but unlike Far From Heaven, where there's a lot of pain and disappointment and destruction, Carol has has less of there. It's a it's an optimistic film, as optimistic of a film about about, you know, queer adjacent issues could be in the 50s when a lot of depending on the states these sort of relationships were considered illegal. These sort of relationships could get you sent to psychiatric facilities. There's stories of of people that we love, artists and sometimes people that we know personally, that had to go through terrible things because they couldn't live the life that they wanted to live. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you just think of the, the great Oscar Wilde, and all of the things that he had to deal with because he was smarter and smarter than everybody, a a brilliant wit, and you know enjoyed yeah. relationships of all varied kinds. Or we've recently unearthed that Walt Whitman, one of the greatest poets of all time. Yeah, I said mm-hmm. it. Leaves of grass is grass is one of the finer documents that you will ever find. Um, Dude was from like, he's either Fort Greene or Long Island, but he rep both. And was was apparently his version of sexting with all the male writers of his time. And it's interesting you bring up all these writers too, because Walt Whitman, um, uh, damn, who did you just say? I just drew a blank. Jesus Christ. I was talking about Oscar Wilde. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Oscar Wilde, Walt Whitman, Jean, uh, Jean Genet. Again, these are all writers that are heavily referenced or straight up adapted by Todd Haynes as well. He kind of keeps their name alive throughout his entire filmography. They're either, or as, you know... You or know. as Delta Funky Homo Sapien says, we keep hope alive by talking in idioms. Word. <laughs> but yeah, like, so you have these characters that were able... Like, you don't even really know, because like... The language of how we identify ourselves has changed throughout time. 
So, so language, especially in queer adjacent LGBTQ plus communities, thing, concepts and terms that exist now would don't translate to the past for a lot of reasons. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. So, so you have, you have these sort of characters and then, you know, people unable to live the lives they want to live. And then you have Carol, which is based off of the price of salt, 1952 novel um, by Patricia Highsmith under a pseudonym who mostly had relationships with women and owned a shit ton of snails. She preferred snails to people. And, and she used to have them like on her, didn't, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she would go to parties thing? with a bag of snails. Yeah. Like, yo, if y'all are going to bore me, I got these snails, son. <laughs> but yeah, so like Carol, you have Todd Haynes, you have wonderful performances by Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Sarah Paulson, Kyle Chandler, Jake Lazy. And yeah, yeah unlike. Unlike uh, Cry from Heaven. Far from Heaven. Far from Heaven, where you see everybody's life go sort of bad, even though in this movie the characters go through changes that are not perfect, it sort of has a happy ending, in, or like a promising ending. You know, I was just going to say, as you said that, do you think this, this little mini two-movie period between Carol and Wonderstruck was was his is is his like like kind of uplifting period cuz you know i mean i'm i'm not trying to jump ahead but it's like these next the, these two movies that we're discussing are have these like kind of warm promising endings uh wonderstruck a little more than carol but still i just feel like this this little period of of, of his films was more kind of like hopeful and uplifting i mean wonderstruck to me the ending is beautiful and part happy but also part heartbreaking and i would i would say True. that that i'm not there is sort of a you know it's it's sort of an uplifting movie mm. okay yeah but yes his a lot of his movies are not necessarily celebrations of the positive things of the human condition yeah where whereas Carol is just a beautifully executed, tonally, tonally exquisite film about just two women getting to know each other in the 50s, going on a trip and learning about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Right? I mean... Yeah. And, no, no, no. Yeah. And Kate Blanchett is, is picture perfect in this. You know, I was gonna bring her up. Just the, the 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 casting from like the major players to the minor players to even like the quick little cameo at the end from um, what's her name from Sleater Kinney. Mm -hmm. um, it's like this. The cast of this film is filled with people who are either openly gay or just like, I guess they're gay, but they don't really announce it. You know, like from Kate Blanchett to you know. Oh, is Kate? Uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. It's care. one of the. Is she? 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 No, 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 no. I'm not saying I don't care. It's just like no, she's. No, no, it, it, you know what I'm yeah. saying is that people's preferences are none of my business. Sure. You know, so I don't. I don't really pay attention to 
the relationships of people unless they talk about it or they are like are using their platform to to put a, a larger lens yeah. on the on the on their needs but even yeah, even you know Carrie Brownstein in Sleater Kinney she's she's coy about her identity well, that's what I was getting at. Well, she kind of has to be because she was actually accidentally outed a long time. This was before. This is when she was just in music. Uh, yeah. Like a, a journalist kind of accidentally outed her. And ever since then, she's always been a little, understandably, you know, elusive and whatnot. And I was just going to say, too, Kate well, Blanchett. Outing, to, outing, oh. outing someone is violent, especially, be, especially now, now less so as it was then. Um, but... Like outing some, like dead naming somebody, bringing up somebody, if they used to have a different name, if they, you know, all of those things can be incredibly dangerous for people. Yeah. We're, we're slowly in this country changing that. But, you know, that, that's a different thing. And yeah, it, the, what, what happened with, with Carrie Bronstein was that, you know, she was apparently in a relationship with the other artist in Sleater Kinney for a while, and 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 a they, um, a journalist was gonna a journalist said that stuff, and yeah, I think she's just sort of like, what does it matter? And because like, there's a difference between being in the closet and just being a private person. Right, which is like how to some degree. I was going to say Kate Blanchett is similar and it's in, in a weird way it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before to some degree Kate Kate Blanchett and her relationships and whatnot she she's a little Morrissey-esque and then it's just like I didn't say I was this I didn't say I was that I just I do what I do and you know like when when you know what I'm saying like that's just kind of her thing I get that she's had relationships with men but also I believe with women as well which is kind of like another thing in the world of Todd Haynes, like, I think that's another thing. It's one of those things, too, like, if you know, you know kind of thing about Carol. And there's so many if you know, you know scenes in Carol. Like, early on, she walks into that store, and then she turns over, and there's these two women who, I guess, it's implied that they're, you know, butch lesbians. But, again, there's no, like, sign. There's no t-shirt. Where, you know, it's just one of those, like, heavy in, in implications. And I think that that gives Carol a bit more... I don't know what the term is. Like, to, to, you know, to this day, there's people who still don't even know that Sarah Paulson is gay. Like, rarely does she play a gay character. Except, I think, one season of American Horror Story. The, 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 the Trump season. You know what I'm saying? So, Yeah, because well. honestly, other people's private lives are really none of our business. And yeah. in my only arguments against that is if you're trying to push a narrative that, that pushes against your your identity or your your existence you know i i feel i feel sympathy i feel pity for politicians who've you know gone on to try to make you know laws against homosexuality when they in turn were doing things were having same-sex relationships in that case i think that information is 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 valid because that's, I don't understand it. No. Yeah. But for the most part, like, I've never had to, I've, <clears throat> I've never gone, hey, by the way, 
I'm straight. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Because I don't have to. Right. Um. So. That just is what it is. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just thought it, I thought it was a good movie, and I think yeah, I thought it was a very good movie. It doesn't. Done. Hmm? I thought it was every, I thought it was expertly done. Well done, as we said earlier, it was one of the best reviewed movies of the year that it came out, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's it's a it's just easy breezy, slow moving sort of sort of vibe. Yeah, it's funny. I actually haven't revisited it since seeing it uh, at at the New York Film Festival. Wow, over five years ago, but uh, I saw it twice there at, at at the festival. So you know, I've seen it twice, but uh, I, I think I should. I should give it a rewatch. I got, I got time. Yes, you do. Um, so yeah. Yeah, Carol, Carol's great. It's on Netflix. Go check it out. Also, uh, Poison I think is on Tubi. Look, just you. Can, I'm. All of I'm, his movies are easy to see. They, yeah, they, they, I, they, they really are. This isn't like none of them are unavailable. Like they're all. Av- Aside from Superstar, you need to be creative. The other ones you can find easily and you can support the artist. And I'm starting to get a little frustrated with people who ask me a question and I give them an answer. And then from there, they're perfectly capable of doing more information. And then they're like, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? And I'm like... And if you go Google first before asking me, they get they get upset. Or, like someone will be like, oh, you have a podcast. And I'll be like, yeah, it's called Zebras in America. And they'll be like, oh, with who? With what? With what? With what? I'm like, yeah. yo, you know how to find podcasts. And you also have a memory because I'm sure anyone that matters, you've told. It's really right. on them. Freaking, and, you know, trust me, yeah. story of my life. And aside from, aside from like, sometimes you'll text me about Twitter stuff and I'll have, I'll ask you because Twitter's kind of hard to search through the muck and the mire. It definitely is. For the most part, you know, whatever. Yeah. So Wonderstruck comes out 2017. It's, it's an Amazon picture. It's got us it's kind i definitely think for many reasons it's spiritually connected to martin scorsese's hugo for a number of reasons of hugo course. and wonderstruck are both books written by the same person that were turned into movies about cities and art and architecture and and puzzles and children and love yep and so wonderstruck t- tells two interspersed stories of two young deaf people coming to New York City to find connection. Yep. And that's pretty much the movie, right? But that the, the beautiful thing about filmmaking and storytelling is that that could be the basis of a movie and that that doesn't mean that, you know, Stalker, right? My favorite movie of all time is about this guy takes these other two guys to a place to understand things. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. But it's okay, more that's than a really that. Cool, uh, that's a really cool correlation between those two movies, though. Well, they're movies about 
They're movies about adventure and intrigue and discovery. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you are recently a new show on Netflix came out called Pretend Like You're a New Yorker or something like that. Pretend It's New York. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, pretend city or pretend it. Yeah, yeah, we're friendly woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretend you're in the city. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Queen's Museum shot and all that stuff. You're spoiling my shit. I was working on the setup, man. That's like that's like stopping Loaded Lux halfway through his buildup, man. Well, you can just like he did in the second round. You could do the you could do the rest of the first verse again and still and still win. Still first verse. Still first verse. Um, hold my time. Hold my time. Stop my time. Excuse me. It's funny because so, as soon as we're done recording, I got to catch up on the Joe Button podcast. So it's funny uh, you say that. For, so, yeah. So if you don't know who Fran Leibowitz is, she's like the soul of the curmudgeonly New Yorker. Sure. She's like if if Larry David was a cigarette-smoking woman who liked punk rock music. Right. And hated sports. And and also is is smarter than Larry David. Oh, but, very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. But you can also sort of predict what she's going to say. Sure. You know? Like, sports. Like, why would I watch... Like, her and Spike Lee on the show is quite delightful because Spike Lee is trying to be like, sports! And she's like... You don't get it. I'm not interested. You know? Yeah, that yeah. I, I understand her appeal and her legacy, but to a guy like me it does get a little gets a little tired. But uh but that's just me. It's like we get Look, it. As New York slowly is changing again and again and again and again, New York is a city that pretty much exists to change as evidenced by the film Wonderstruck, as evidenced by film in general, as evidenced by books if you you know i often i've talked a few times on the show about the book washington square which was turned into the movie the beneficiary henry james late 1800s this dude and this woman have this like bond that never really fully gets fleshed out and then he leaves new york for a few years and he's like oh my how new york has changed that yeah. is what New York does. New York is, is, is in a constant flux. And Franny Leibowitz is a part of a older New York, which is slowly changing. And, and New York is changing a lot faster than it was ready to with, with the virus. That being said... W- oh. What? No, I was going to... I needed to add on. I, I, I will say... As an out-of-towner, I have always been fascinated by... She's an out-of-towner we, as well, by the way. Huh? She's what? also an out-of-towner. Well, I guess... It, right, I'm just saying, I, 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 I forgot what the term... Someone who, at this point, has residency by people who just... just I, whatever, I'll just call someone a New Yorker. I'm, def, I'm more of an out-of-towner than she is. But just, I've always been fascinated, whether it be my being in certain hip-hop scenes, being in certain DJ scenes whatever meeting true new yorkers and scott to some degree you fall in this especially when we talk about like music like i always fell into something like if something was from new york city it was awesome right and then to meet new yorkers to just kind of be like eh, it was okay and me be like wait what, what do you mean it's okay like 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you're right next door to this awesome thing. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? It's great. And then, like, New York, it just, they're just like, yeah, it, it's fine. There's other stuff you just don't know about that never gets highlighted. I've always been kind of fascinated by it. my dad. My dad could be like that, too. I, uh, you know, 45 years, New, New Yorker. He, he was very much like, like that also. Like, those, those types of people from, from New York always fascinate me. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. You're a New Yorker. Like, I'm not really interested in gatekeeping you know, like what no, a New Yorker not. is or what a New Yorker isn't, that's for another episode. I'm sure what I'm saying is, is that Wonderstruck tells this story of these two deaf people, sort of orphans, trying to find connection and through the magic of the city eventually figure out a way to connect with each other again and find positivity. And many people who've seen Pretend It's a City have seen that there is a part. So Martin Scorsese is obsessed with Fanny Leibowitz. This isn't even the yeah. first TV show he's done with her before. He did a special on HBO about her a long time ago. You know, she she's a much-loved person of that New York. Sure. But she, in, in the show, she's walking through this diorama of New York City. That's gorgeous. And if you don't know about it, you might be like, why did they build this diorama of New York City for Franny Leibowitz? They didn't. That is actually what's inside the World's Fair in Queens. Yeah. <clears throat> That's one of the things they made. To, to showcase the World's Fair. So most people are not able to see it. People like you and I, I don't even know how I'd be able to go see it. Right. But I'm obsessed with dioramas. When I was a kid, I, there used to be these beautiful setups in Rockefeller Center of like miniature trains. I've gone to miniature, miniature train conventions. I never, I have no interest in owning miniature trains, but I like replicas. I like miniature trains. I like when, when you go to like nerd stores and people are playing like tabletop role playing games with like orcs and shit, like Warhammer. I, I just, I like miniatures. So yeah. I like when movies use miniatures, I like stop motion. I like it. I like the, it's like the opposite of the uncanny valley because you can actually believe it. Sure. I can believe a miniature. I can believe a puppet. I where where it's much more difficult to believe computer animation some of the times. I see them and get PTSD because of because of college. But that's just my little funny anecdote. I I'll have to ask about that there. another time. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah so the, then they're without giving away too much the final scene of one of the final scenes of Wonderstruck takes place in that diorama. And yeah. I cried the first time I saw it when the movie came out a couple of years ago. And I cried it when I rewatched it again. I was just overcome by emotion and power and Todd Haynes' ability to somehow tell sentimental stories without feeling over sentimental or precious. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I said yeah, sure, absolutely. And yeah, what's your what's your take on the movie? 
there's something that needs to 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 be said. I I'm I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of like <clears throat> the kind of like nerdy Todd Haynes fans that like read books about him and learn everything that they can about him. I know personally Wonderstruck, which I loved, it was on my top ten of, of that year. But a lot of the stuff surrounding Wonderstruck really frustrated me the year it came out because Todd. So, Todd Todd Haynes fans like myself, a lot of people slept on this movie. Not 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 just casual view, viewers, but between far from far from heaven through Carol, there were people who were just kind of like you know they're 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 doing the thing that a lot of fans of artists do. I want the old so and so back, and I admit that I was kind of like that. Um, and they just saw the trailer, or they saw images for Wonderstruck, and they just wrote it off as like, oh, what he's doing a family film now? He's going even more and more and more, you know. A way that I don't want him to go but when people say that it's like yeah you clearly haven't seen the movie and you judged it before because speaking of someone who's watched every Todd Haynes movie I guess with the exception of Carol a million times I only seen Carol a couple times Wonderstruck plays off of so much of old Todd Solons whether it's like early on in the film there's like scenes of the you know of kids in front of projector screens or you like or like you said there's like you know we see models we see little stop moments of stop motion animation, and that all goes back to his first three film, his first three efforts, like the Karen Carpenter exactly. movie, Poison, and even we haven't talked about this only because it's similar to to Mildred Pierce. It, it's not a feature film, but Wonderstruck definitely owes a lot to his film uh, Daddy Gets Spanked. Uh, it's like a thirty minute made for TV film. You know they did that. I have to throw this. You have to see it because that's one of the best things he's ever done. Um, yeah, the version you sent to me was dubbed in Spanish. Oh, I sent you. Oh, fuck! I sent you the that wrong one. Why, they, that was oh. why I, I didn't catch up. But it's on Canopy, so um. Yeah, shit. There's like three. There, there's like three full ones on. I, I damn. I just instinctively. I just clicked the first one I saw and sent you the wrong one. But yeah. So so Wonderstruck. Yeah, don't. I mean, so many people judged it, and and years later, like one or two, three years later, people saw it and they're just like, oh, it's actually really good. And it's like, yeah, it it's. It's like a melding of so many. It's like the more mainstream side of Todd Solon's, and he's also pulling from his old playful kind of like rebellious style, and I think and it it just works beautifully. Yeah. And then I guess do you have anything else to say about that one? Uh, no, just uh, shout out to Carlo. Uh, I remember when the movie oh, yeah, came out. It. He well, not well, not so much that he had his he had his birthday weekend planned around the, the the general release of carol and he had some friends he had his father his father was in town and we all had like a really nice kind of birthday dinner uh oh i forgot the name of it it's like this polish restaurant in the uh, lower east side i'd never i used to walk by all the time never been inside um and it was delicious pierogi house yeah. or yes oh damn yeah <laughs> yes yes yeah it's more like I a hope- diner but yeah, there's still. there's some really excellent Polish diners in the Lower East Side. There's a few. There's Veselka's. There's I hope I hope they're all I hope they're open. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to run a restaurant business right now. For real, yeah. But yeah, but that's all I had to say. It just and 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 I guess that's a cool New York me- uh, memory right there. Yeah, and we've had Speaking a lot of, of good ones. Yeah, and and I guess I I really have nothing to say about Dark Waters before we close. That's fair. I I, 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 I do, but I, I get where you're coming from. It's just like it's it's like you know, it's a it's it's a movie it, again, it's like his Aaron Brockovich and it's it's fine. 
Yeah. It's fine. I just, I didn't like it that much, but I didn't like it so much that I have much bad stuff to say about it. Sure. It's a legal thriller. I didn't think it was the best legal thriller. No, it, it it's not. It's fine. It's like when um, Gus Van Zandt, uh, who you know we mentioned earlier in the episode, it's like when he made uh, The Promised Land with uh, Matt Damon and John Krasinski. It's just kind of like, it's cool, but you know you're, I don't know. You can you you can do more, but 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 what what I do have to say about this movie, which is kind of cool, and I'm 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 only saying this. I'm not trying to make excuses, and I'm not even saying this from like a a, a casual fan i i would i would hate for this movie to be one of some one of the first todd haynes movies for someone to see because it's a misrepresentation of who he is but this you know the fact that this is the same film that came from a guy who made safe just gives it that little bit more like it does kind of tie into safe because you know so so, 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 you, you could make an abstract comparison or correlation that some of the folks in safe uh, kind of have a lot in common with some of the victims in uh, Dark Water, so yeah, you know, again, it's one, not a one's bad... based on a true story and one's fantasy, but still, and there again, is that. It's connection. not a bad movie. <clears throat> no, I no, just, no, no. It's just like if we're talking about the, you know, I, I don't. I'm trying to think of a, another compa- Like, yeah, if we're talking about Gus Van Zant, like, not every movie we. Like, not every movie is going to get the same sort of love. No. Definitely not. And that's just that. Yeah. So, yeah, this was, um, you know, not, you know, do, do, doing this thing now, it, it has me get, now that I've, I've been exploring HBO Max. I think I'm going to have to go back and rewatch, you know, Mildred Pierce because that's another thing too. We we only talk about the features, but I got to I got to reiterate Mildred Pierce and Dottie mm-hmm. Get Spanked. His TV stuff, it, it's two of the best things that he's ever ever done ever. I don't care if it's okay. TV, feature film, short film, whatever. They're both just excellent. Well, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we've sort of just been not stressing ourselves to do episodes every week if we don't have it is like when we make episodes where we aren't feeling it it just it doesn't feel fun so when we have things to do to look forward to or you know like there haven't been a ton of 2021 releases you know I, i've been so it could be fun for you know us to all rewatch Mildred Pierce and then talk about it and maybe have Saskia on because she's pretty excited about it too. Well, that'd be awesome because it's like, you know, it's like six hours of stuff. So yeah. yeah. So that's oh, something cool. to do and something to look forward to. And yeah. Um, sending love to everybody. Yeah. If, if, if all of our ducks align in a row next week's episode is going to be pretty exciting. Hell yeah. We'll see.
Yeah.